What if this is as good as it gets? It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everyone. I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And of course, of a Saturday, we get to work with tall guy Nathan Miller. Nathan, how are you today, sir? Good morning and afternoon to you, Gary and Suzanne. And congratulations to your local baseball team, Tampa Bay Rays, for taking the series in our first meetup. Well, you know, that's very gracious of you. I am not a Tampa Bay Rays fan. <laughs> They're your local fact, team, I- though. Oh, they're, yeah, they're an hour up the road, but I'll tell you, I would love nothing more than to see the Seattle Mariners become a Cinderella team because, quite frankly, it's hard for the Major League Baseball world to take the Mariners seriously. They're just, they're there. And that's, that's not the perception we want. I mean, I was living in Seattle when they beat the Yankees in the postseason and the whole region went nuts. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're definitely one of the laughing stocks of the entire Major League Baseball. You know, everybody's making fun of us for always having these high hopes of Mariners. It's like, yeah, you're doing well in April, but wait until, you know, October and things will be much different. (laughs) About July, in my experience, I lived there a little over two decades there and can't wait to get back again, as I never tire of saying. But with the Mariners, it was always a case of you get to July, right around the All-Star break, and then you start hearing the sportscasters on TV and radio say, the Mariners tell us that they're looking toward the future. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's July. The World Series is in October. But you're looking toward the future as you give away some blue chip talent and they go on to play in the World Series wearing other uniforms. Right. So that's where we are with that. I wish we had somebody who could emphasize positive thinking and creation and give people a new perspective so that they could do greater things in life. Somebody who's accomplished. If only we could interview someone like that, Suzanne. Oh, if only we could. Well, let's try with today's guest. This is the third time she's been on in three years. And last time was exactly 52 weeks ago today. Really? Which I think is is quite interesting. <laughs> great. And we're talking about Dr. Drayvon James. She is the founder of Everyday Peace, an inspirational speaker and life coach, and the author of Freedom is Your Birthright. Her journey began on the south side of Chicago, and although she'd always dreamt of a career on the stage, she went on to earn a doctorate in pharmacy from Creighton University and has worked as a pharmacist all her adult life. Along with her medical career and theatrical aspirations, Drayvon has also had a keen interest in personal development. After reading Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking in college, she went on to make a lifelong study of the power we all have to create the life we want. She is now an actress whose career credits includes a recurring role on HBO's acclaimed The Wire, many stage plays and independent films, She continues to inspire and teach what she knows to be the most effective tool for transforming, creating, and building a spectacular life, and that is tapping into everyday peace. Her client list includes the University of the District of Columbia, New Hope World Ministries, Today's Care Adult Daycare Stadium Place, and Next Chapter Online Radio. 
So I will be sure to give out her website before the end of the hour. But for the third time, and we are very happy to have her back. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Dr. Drayvon James. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. And I think, you know, I always say there is no randomness in this uh, existence that may look at sometimes to be chaotic. But I, I, I want to know in my own mind and spirit, what is the significance of 52 weeks to the day? I'm back. We definitely didn't plan it that way, but I'm so grateful to it. And it's not it is something that I'm going to carry with me throughout my day today. We, we have at least an annual visit scheduled. <laughs> yes. That. That's right. We're stars locked in. The moon. Right. 2021 and 22. Oh, that's yes. wonderful. Drayvon, you've had a stellar career working TV on the wire. And yet, interestingly, you started out as what? Some kind of chemistry buff or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, I started off as a theater person in my heart and soul. I have to tell you that... Uh, when I was in the third grade, I auditioned for a play called Ladies First. I'll never forget it. And uh, I remember even the day, it was back in the times when your teacher would come in on a rainy recess day when we couldn't go outside and they put a, a record on. You guys remember those? They put a record on and the teacher put this record on that day. It was raining outside. We were staying inside and it was um, a play. And the play was Ladies First. And she was introducing us to a play that we were going to be putting on for our parents. And I was mesmerized. And it was just, you know, an album she put on and we listened to it. And I visualized the whole thing. And I auditioned for it. And I got a role of a non-speaking, non-moving tree. But you couldn't tell me that I wasn't on my way to stardom. Oh, It takes a lot of talent to just stand there. (laughs) You know, Drayvon, it's interesting when you talk about beginnings, middles, and later years, our a listenership is uh, heavily into the the boomer years. We have a lot of boomer listeners and others, um, but oftentimes the things that catch our interest in the early years get kind of put off for the later years because in the middle we need to have a career, make money, have a life, you know, raise a family, do whatever we're going to do in those middle years. And it seems like our dreams of our youth kind of get set aside and then they come back later. I had been an English major in school and in college, as a matter of fact, and people laughed and said, oh, what, you know, what a ridiculous career. You'll never make money being an English major. And in a way, that was true. And I did a lot of administrative things and, and real estate and property management. And I was kind of a jack of all trades, worked in banking, worked in insurance. I kind of worked all over the place. And then all of a sudden, I, I met somebody who said, I'm really interested in your English degree. We need somebody who's going to act as a, as a proofreader for every single item that goes out of this company, because what I see just looks like garbage. And all of a sudden, the passion of my youth, which was to master the English language, was actually quite useful in my latest part of my career, where I got into doing a lot of writing, a lot of editing and to be overseeing other writers. And I thought, now, isn't that interesting? The early years came back into the later years. But in the middle, all I wanted to do was make money and 
you know, pay the rent and take care of my expenses. Does that seem logical from the people that you've talked to? It really, it does. I mean, you know, I, I am an executive coach and a life coach, and I can tell you that uh, I used to refer to it as a dream deferred, right? Uh, much like yes. yourself, you yeah. pursue what makes practical sense for the survival of yourself and your loved ones. And sometimes that the practical sense thing does not really allow you to fully engage in your passion the way that you want to. Now I can say for, for me, it was the birth of my daughter who is now 21 and graduating from undergrad um, next month. And when I saw her, uh, I knew at that point that I had to, I would never be able to honestly tell her to pursue her dreams unless I had honestly pursued mine on whatever level I could. So that's what kind of pushed me to say, okay, stay engaged with this passion of yours, even though, you know, my feet are planted here in in the earth and I'm living a real situation where I've got to be able to provide for myself and my family. But I think that is so often the case with my clients as well. And I have a wonderful, wonderful client base and they all have great contributions that they're making to society, but they still have their little girl and little boy dreams. Right. Yeah, I like that. Dream deferred. Uh, The things that we really like and are talented in and enjoy in our youth can come back in the later years and be rekindled. And I really do uh, like that idea. One of the things that, you know, Gary and I wanted to talk with you about today is the idea of everyday peace, because I think one of the things that could occur, depending upon what kind of youth and what kind of later years you have, is you can start out life in one way, but in the middle of it, it seems like when you are trying to earn a living, find a a mate, uh, a place to live, um, food on the table, all those necessities of life, there often comes a lot of stress and a lot of conflict with that. And I can only hope and pray that in the later years, there is less of that, although that's not assured in any way. But as the founder of Everyday Peace, how is it that you're working with your clients to resolve the things that happen during much of our lives, which has to do with the stress and the conflict of everyday living? Oh, that is such a great question, Suzanne, and so nicely um, put. So I want to start by talking about what the definition of peace, um, how that is used, how that word is used. We talk about everyday peace as it relates to the organization and the philosophy that I developed. And so, uh, Oftentimes we think of peace as having our hands folded in a prayer position, sitting in a lotus position and back straight and just Zen-like nature. And would that were the case every day of, or every, even every Monday of our life, right? So the definition that I use for peace is um, peace is wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. And even I've said it, oh my gosh, if I said it once, I probably have said it a million times. And every time I say it, including this time, I get this soothing sensation in my gut that tells me that it is okay in this moment right now, not only for myself, but for everyone that I coach and everyone in the world. In fact, 
whatever it is that you are feeling right now, whatever it is that is a tangible fact in your life right now. Some of them are wonderful. Some of them are not so desirable, but whatever it is, to know that it is part of your wholeness. It's like a puzzle piece in your jigsaw puzzle. And that piece belongs there. You know that it belongs there because it showed up. Now, here is the thing that you need to know about that, is that everything that shows up, those things that cause stress and conflict and those things that cause you to feel harmonious and compassionate, everything that shows up has shown up for one reason only. And that is to bow down and serve you as you move to your next level of greatness. So everything is useful. Everything is useful. And when you start looking at that, it changes your perspective of this unwanted thing that's shown up in your life. It's going to be useful if you allow it to be so. Of course, the choice is always ours. But if you allow it to be so, without judgment, without shame, without condemnation, it's okay to hurt. That's, that's part of this journey. We're all going to experience disappointment, frustration, joy, happiness. We're going to experience the whole rainbow of emotions, all part of our own tapestry. You know, Drayvon, that even speaks to a larger subject as a philosophy of this individual life. You have stated it beautifully. If I extrapolate from that to the concept, I can't say the reality, even though I subscribe to the idea. What about reincarnation? If we come into a body, is it not possible that we come back into other bodies, that we get to be both genders, that we get to be on the whole spectrum of life? learning and experiencing as life with a capital L experiences and expresses itself universally. Talk about being an actor, playing your part. Maybe we get to play all of them. Isn't that, yeah. And who knows, right? But if that is the case, right? And doesn't that increase our compassion for everyone and everything, right? We can live this life knowing that if I have not yet played that role, I will be soon cast in it. Right. Oh, I, love so, that. oh, I like that that's idea. That's good news. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I, the last couple of days, there has been something that's been kind of bugging me. And, and so I, I, I just bring it up. And that is that the opposite of peace and harmony for me right now appears to be intolerance. And if people would just relax and and tolerate the way things are instead of trying to argue with reality or be very intolerant of, you know, certain people, certain groups of people. I mean, I'm, I'm saying, what is all this intolerance about live and let live? I mean, just let people be because it seems like a lot of the conflict comes up when we're, you know, labeling people as the other. And, and I heard it the last couple of days and it just kind of, it, it went clunk in my head. That just shouldn't be the way it is. And I think that is a lot of the conflict that we have. Yeah. And so I'm careful when I give this um, response to that, to make sure that I'm saying that I am not above this, right? We're all on this journey and we, yep. and we roll yep. It's a roller coaster, right? But when you yep. say like the the you know we hear peace and being intolerance, and I think when I hear the word intolerance, I hear that the root of intolerance is fear, mm-hmm. right? 
because there's something that you fear. And then I could spend my whole life trying to figure out what it is that you fear. And then that fear that I thought I figured out because you are complex, not you, but in general, we're all complex individuals. That fear could be put onto something else. And then is my time best spent um, trying to figure out what you're afraid of? Or should I dig a little bit deeper? And with me, I choose to dig a little bit deeper. And I say, okay, well, there's I hear in fear is a cry to be loved, mm. right? And, you know, just from watching my own childhood and, watch, and being a mom of two children and watching that that fear is just a cry because how does that fear go away? What do I do to make fear go away, right? Some fear just seems to be totally rational, irrational, but what I can do and what has seemed to work in most cases in my life whether with my children or with my clients or with friends and loved ones is to answer the cry to be loved without, again, any judgment that you don't have to share my beliefs. You don't have to be any less intolerant for me to answer your cry to be loved. You can be just who you are. And then it is my responsibility who notices the intolerance in you. And then who has the wisdom to know that your intolerance is connected to fear and that your fear is connected to this cry that you have to be loved. And if I decide, I'm just going to answer that cry. I'm not going to address your intolerance. I'm not going to address your fear. I'm going to address the cry to be loved. Wow, I really like that you said that. And you started out by saying that this is something that affects all of us. And and so I was looking outside myself at, at something I was hearing about and not really liking what I was hearing. But when I when I participate in that, I've got a couple of neighbors who are not well educated and uh, and and I'm making fun of them behind their backs. And, and saying, you know, how ridiculous they are. And I think my own fear is about being considered unintelligent. And, and so I look at those two, and it's easy for me to say, oh, they're not very smart. You know, I'm, I'm worried somebody's going to think, look at me and think I'm not very smart. And maybe sometimes I'm really not. You know, I make some poor choices. I'll react to something badly And, you know, maybe that's at the root of that as well. So, you know, rather than pointing the finger outside, you know, it needs to go both ways, both in and out. And I, and I, I guess, you know, based on our conversation now where you said no one's immune from it, I I see where I've done the same thing. Yeah. And I just want to say that is something if we look at, um, and this is in the African-American community of which I am a proud member of, (laughs) but the Will Smith event at the Oscars, right? And what happened is this rippling effect throughout social media. And one of the posts that I came across was that you see the whole world is going to believe that this is how Black people are, right? Because here you have, you're, you've risen to this point. You, you're a great actor. You're all of this. And, and we are just violent. And I thought to myself, for whoever is feeling that, right, is that not the ultimate cry for love that you you now feel exposed? Because some person who you have never and probably will never meet has 
you believe represents you or it has exposed you, something that you never wanted to be exposed about you. And it all goes back to the, within each of us, there is this part, this ego part of us that says, I don't look here. This part of me is not yes. that. Don't, yeah. you know, you can look yeah. over here where I've done all my dusting and polishing, but I haven't yet yes. cleaned this room. Don't look here. And I thought, well, gosh. And so what did everybody does believe that you're, you know, that you're not intelligent or that you're, yeah. or that I'm violent. So what if they believe that about me, it gives, I, you know, yeah. well, how would that change who I really am? And, and don't we all have a lot of little dark corners that we don't want people peering into? We all have secrets. We all have yeah. places that we really don't want the, the light shown on because it wouldn't put us in a very good light. Right. Because you know, that light of awareness. And, and that's why you know, I teach when it, with everyday peace is to stay in this place of awareness and acceptance, right? And knowing that we are evolving, always evolving, right? And uh, it's okay to take, you know, two steps forward and one step back. That's the process of evolution, not only for us, but since the beginning of time, right? It is the seeking to be perfect that drives us insane, Right. Instead of seeking yeah. to always be a learner. Well, I like that because it's seeking to be perfect and being so imperfect puts us in a place of trying to cover up our faults and, and hide our faults from people when, you know, we, we all have them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Say, like, well, you know, um, I want to cover up my fault by exposing somebody else's fault. Right. That way you yeah. don't have to look at mine. Right. You don't have to look at mine. Right. Look over right. there see how bad that one is. And, and you know, and that's the them versus us instead of, you know, here we are. Someone told me a couple of weeks ago that if you look at the word me in a mirror reflection, it says we. And I said, oh, I really like that. Right. Because what the, the part that I'm trying to hide in myself. It's generally the thing that I'm trying to expose in somebody else, right? So you'll see that in them and you won't see it in me. Instead of just saying, wow, I'm going to work on that part. And it's okay for me to work on that part. I may never get it right, <laughs> but I'm going to work I, on it. You might get it right. You'll never get it perfect. And neither will anybody else because by our very nature, we are fallible creatures. We humans are mistake prone by our very nature. And when people talk about perfection, at most all I can say or all I've managed to figure out in this life is you're a perfect example of exactly who you are. Oh, I love so it. You're the perfect Drayvon James moment by moment. And yes, you evolve, because, especially someone like you, because you're consciously aware of your desire and need for growth. If anything, I feel compassion for the people who think that they're already a finished product and they're living now for the benefit of everyone else to live by their shining example. That's hubris. That's ego. And it has felled many a person it, and caused them to fall from a high place. Going back to the Oscars there, I hope, sincerely, I hope that Chris Rock heals from the experience being on the receiving end. I hope. Truly, that Will Smith returns to his genius, returns to the roots of who he is in order to express himself at such a high level. To me, the, the most pitiable thing about that entire episode was that it happened on the night when he was, he being Will Smith, was 
given, voted the best actor of the year, the best performance by a male <laughs> actor. And he gave that moving speech. He was crying as he gave it. And it happened the night of that incident. And then within a matter of a few days, he suspended and he quit the Academy. And they say he can't come back to Academy sponsored events for 10 years. And I'm just shaking my head going, what happened there? Yeah. And it's so interesting, right? And in in my mind, right, it makes him no less of a great man, right? And, and it makes um, Chris Rock um, a, a shining example of what to do in the face of adversity, right? Someone, yes. you know, yeah. two, I mean, an, an ultimate cry yeah. for love. We have no idea what was going on in his life at that time. But what we do know about life is that there's always something going on, <laughs> seen or unseen. Right? Yes, yes. There's always something going on. And uh, we were all maybe, you know, thank goodness, you know, not in the public eye like that, where all of our mistakes are on the world stage for everybody to see. But, I, you know, as I listened to and um, thought fondly about both of them and their families and hoping that, as you say, they can both heal from this and realize that, yeah, an unfortunate thing happened. And everybody who's witnessed it and everybody who's wrote about it and made commentary about it has had unfortunate things happen in their life as well. We're okay oh, yeah. here. <laughs> sure. And it means just as much to us in terms of our emotions, our nervous systems, our blood pressure. If it happens to us when we're on the losing end of an argument at a PTA meeting, that's our Oscar moment. <laughs> Win or yes. lose. I mean, your, your body doesn't know whether you're at the Oscars or not. It right. just knows that you're experiencing stress and the fight or flight syndrome, no matter where you are. Right. Right. You're so right. That was, that's our Oscars. And we can think back, right. And just grimace and think, oh my gosh, I hope I don't ever see those people again that I behave so poorly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Suzanne, I'd, I'd like to go ahead. We're just about a minute shy. We're coming toward our, our one and the only break time. We just take halftime break here on our show. Why don't we go ahead and take that? Because I have a question for Drayvon that's related to show business, but also healing about crises, potential or real, and doing what you need to do. If you are the person, even by self-designation, who is there to heal the room. And I would like to take that up oh, excellent. with Drayvon James, our honored guest of the hour. We are Manson Mitchell, and we'll be right back here at the epicenter of Alternative Talk in Seattle, AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. 
Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back actress Ruta Lee, who shares a timeline about the stars of the silver screen, both large and small, from The Greatest Generation. On Saturday, Bridget Dengel Gaspard reveals how enlisting your many talented inner selves can help you accomplish your goals. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Dr. Drayvon James, founder of Everyday Peace. Dr. James, if people would like to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do it? Uh, Websites, social media, and anything that you have going on that you would like to tell our listeners about? Oh, great. So my website is a great way to connect with me because you can find out what's going on in my world. And that's drdravonjames.com um, is where you can find me there. My radio program, Everyday Peace, you guys may remember, was um, up until this month, the 15th of this month, was always hosted on Unity Online Radio Network. Unity Online Radio Network has um, decided to close its doors. And I am now on the Body, Mind, Spirit podcast. So Everyday Peace is my weekly radio broadcast. And it's uh, a great way to find out what's going on in the world of Everyday Peace. I bring great guests on there. You guys have to come on. People who are doing things who just really help to remind us of how we are supposed to use this journey called life. And then uh, social media, of course, is a great way to keep up with me. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Facebook. YouTube, uh, there's more out there, Twitter and LinkedIn, all under uh, DrayvonJames.com. And uh, you can find me there. I have got to talk about leaders in high heels. It is just, I say taking the world by storm, but taking my world by storm for sure. Um, As a life coach and an executive coach for many, many years, I am passionate about um, everyone getting to their next level of greatness. But through my years, I've come to find out that some statistics that we read about women is absolutely true, how they view themselves as not enough in, what, in some capacity of life. So uh, last year, I decided to dedicate a part of my life coaching to women, utilizing um, the skills that I have learned over, in over 30 years of leadership in healthcare, uh, the leadership skills to help them improve their life. And what I know about leadership skills is that they are transferable. They help to improve your health, your wealth, and your relationships. So I have a group coaching for women called Leaders in High Heels to help them improve in their health, their wealth, and their relationships, wherever they're struggling. And they can, I can be found 
on Facebook, a Facebook group called Leaders in High Heels. You can join that Facebook group and then come over from there into our 12-week group coaching program. It is phenomenal. It is women at their best. I mean, we see quantum leaps in 12 weeks of what women came in saying, hey, I want to accomplish this in 12 weeks, doggone, if they're not in the middle of doing just what they said they wanted to do. So um, that's a little bit about me and what I'm doing and where you can find me. I hope that your guests will stop by one of those sites and just check out what we're doing. Can they start? Uh, is it starting now or is it in the middle of the 12 weeks where or can they just jump in anywhere? You can jump in anywhere. That is the beautiful okay. part. So okay. it's it's rolling and ongoing. So we okay. have people coming and going, and it creates such wonderful collaborations mm. in a collective. It is a wonderful uh, charge. Sometimes we have huge amounts, and you know it's it's uh, it's it seems like chaos, but it's really a symphony. And then sometimes we have a small intimate group. And either way, there's so much to to glean from there. Excellent. And and I just want to say the website again is Dr. Drayvon James, Dr. Being D-R, Drayvon, D-R-A-V as in Victor, O-N, James.com. Yes. I am very curious to know, Drayvon, in your history as an actress, and also hearing about it in the industry, as they say, I am very curious to know if you have direct experience of or have heard much about one of those sets where the people on the set find that the dynamics and the chemistry, pardon the pun, I'm talking to some of you as a doctorate in pharmacy, where, where you show up ready to work, you know your lines, you're ready to go, you have your characterization down. And the main thing that people are talking about is how the director and one actor or an actor and an actress or two actresses or two actors or one of the hands, their best grip, whoever it is, is causing such a problem on the set that you can't get the production underway because of all of the sour dynamics. Have you ever walked into a set where you feel, knowing what I know now, maybe I can heal this mess? Well, I got to say, I have been very, very fortunate uh, to work with really, really good people who show up professional. I just finished shooting um, a couple of scenes for a show here in Baltimore called Black Therapy and uh, wonderful experience. Again, I do a lot of theater work. I've not had that experience for me. Now, it's not to say that it may not be going on on the set, but I got to tell you how I show up. I show up one always as though this is the performance. So if it's theater, I show up like tonight, we got audience. So whether this is our first rehearsal or our 20th rehearsal, I show up in that mindset. So it's really hard to have a conversation with me out of character. So if I'm whatever character I'm playing, I that character is already being groomed and prepped on the way there. When I walk on the set, I walk through the door. That's all you can talk to me about is that character. So generally it's very difficult to have a conversation with me outside of that. So I, it, it could be going on, but I have not experienced that because I do show up that way and I respond in that way. So we can have, you know, we're not talking about the lines all the time, but I'm always in character. I'm always in character because I want it to be as authentic as possible. If, you know, if something happens that's not in the script, well, how would my character respond to that? What does she feel about that? And that's how I interact with everything. Now, that's a work like ethic. Yeah, See, I love I like that. that. They say that there are many other names that you could come up with the faster than I could, Drayvon. But that's what they say about Al Pacino. 
He'll go into a meeting with somebody unrelated to immediate stage or uh, film work, and he shows up and he's acting entirely different from what the person who agreed to the meeting would expect there. And then they have to be reminded that this is Al Pacino's method. This is his getting into character and how he's preparing for a role. And the person is shaken up by that because they don't know how to relate to Al Pacino. They think they're talking to the actor who might sign a contract at the end of the day, but he's actually in the character he's preparing for a film that's going to be shot in three weeks, maybe. Right. Oh, now, now that's, that's why he's Al Pacino, right? I've not carried it to that extent, but that's why he's Al Pacino, right? right? Who we all know mm. and love. But yeah, I, and, and, and I purposely do it. And so uh, we talk about it, like we do, um, then we do some readings and stuff and I, and I talk about my technique and because I walk uh, with both feet in two different worlds, you know, I work in healthcare and oftentimes I'm coming from that environment into this creative space. Right. And so in order for me to turn completely into that character that I need to start morphing right away. So I, you know, I, I walk out of that world, I walk into the new world and I submerge myself completely. Are you still working in pharmacy, Trayvon? I, yes, I will tell you that um, I and I'm. I keep saying like this is going to be my last year, but but um, I just got the Secretary McDonough Corner recognition for I run hospital pharmacies for a major hospital group for having leading a huge crusade and, and organizing a system to get many many people vaccinated uh, for COVID in, in in the Baltimore Maryland area, and. Mm. I wow. love that part of service, but as we were talking in the beginning about a dream deferred, I am so, I feel this passion for everyday peace and for acting so strongly till it's almost becoming a little painful to continue to walk in both worlds. Interesting. Do people recognize you at the pharmacy from The Wire or something you've done on stage? Yes. So because I work in in the hospital, I don't interact with a lot of, um, I, and I work in administration, um, I don't interact with a lot of patients anymore, but there will be staff people in the hospital who will say to me, I just saw you. Is that you? And, you know, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> maybe because I keep my world separate. I never confirm or deny. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's something I didn't plan on talking about today, but I think I'd like to bring it up because I want to understand. In the African-American community, it's pretty well understood because it was well covered on the news that there was a lower percentage of acceptance of the vaccine. I mean, going back to the first ones that came out in the fight against COVID-19. Mm. And, you know, as I listen to more and more of these stories, Drayvon, I began to get it. I understand when you look at the history of the interaction between the federal government and black American citizens of all ages, now, you know, I really understand why there would be a reluctance to simply take it on the word of a recognized authority, Dr. Fauci or whomever could be the president of the United States, though, depending on which one we're talking about, as to whether or not it would actually take the shot and then maybe get a booster because you start to wonder about what is being injected into your body with the expressed intention of warding off a dread disease. And yet you've been subjected to things historically provably true 
that you have suffered at the hands of people who thought they were well-meaning when they were doing grave damage. I get that now. How much of a fight did you have to have to get people to get vaccinated in your business? That's interesting because what I did was I developed systems. So I I didn't have to persuade people per se. I just developed systems to make it easier and the transactions to happen really um, quickly without many delays. But I can tell you, if I had a nickel for every time I was asked about it as an African-American healthcare provider, um, you know, how could, you know, why, why do you endorse this? And, and, I believe in, maybe we use this phrase, live and let live, right? Yeah. I understand it from, you know, too intimately from being African-American. You know, I, 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 my family could tell you all those stories as part of our history. And so I definitely understand that too. And so I lead with compassion and say, you know, what I want you to know is what I know about the science of this. Mm, right? yeah. And then this is what I know about the science. Then you as an individual, I would never, I am not a proponent of taking away people's free choice. I believe that once you do that about anything, you'll do that about everything. So, and I think that is part of the beauty of being an American, but I do realize that having this independent uh, choice Mm -hmm. has great responsibility. It's a great responsibility. And I talked about that from that standpoint, here is the responsibility that, that you owe yourself, first of all, the people that you live with, your the, the seniors and the elderly in your community. Here is the sense of responsibility that you have. And no matter wh- wh- how you land on this decision, no matter how you land on this decision, to constantly be thinking about how your actions will not only impact you, but the people who you purport to love dearly. And then make your decision from that standpoint. But yeah, that was that was really, really challenging and very, very emotionally charged discussion for many, for such a long time. And maybe still is, maybe, you know, still is and maybe will never go away. You know, there's a bigger question here too, Drayvon, that you bring up because, you know, I feel like so many of our freedoms went away after 9-11 with the, you know, the uh, TSA and taking off your shoes and, you know, going through the checkpoints for travel and things like that. And, And it brings up the whole idea of how much freedom the the intersection of freedoms and responsibilities back in the sixties, you know, we said you really can't, infect people with all your cigarette smoke because even secondhand smoke is going to cause cancer. And so there's this idea of being socially responsible. It would be better if you were not blowing cigarette smoke in people's faces. And so then the COVID question comes up about the social responsibility of not passing along that those uh, pandemic germs, those pandemic viruses versus my, my freedom. And, and so I, it was, it's been one of the things about COVID, which is really kind of stymied me is we've lost freedoms in so many areas where you really can't just do whatever you want because we live in a society versus, you know, how many freedoms 
can we have? Does that question ever ever bother you in the in the pharmaceutical business? It all of the time. I think about it all of the time, right? The good of one versus the good of many. Yes. Right? And yes. and I and I always go back to um, what is the fear? Is this a cry to be loved? Right? And how can I me personally, how can I best address that? Your cry to be loved, right? And I, for and on either side, I hear you know um, the cry that well, if you're not vaccinated, then it infringes upon me. You could endanger me, and that's a cry to be loved. Like I want you to love me. I want you to take care of me. I don't want you to put me in harm's way. And then the person who says, you know, I can't get vaccinated because I don't feel comfortable, and and they're getting angry, and they're cry is to be loved too. I want you to value me. I want you to respect my, my, my right to choose. And wow. (laughs) Yes. How do you resolve that? That is such a basic conflict that you just described is, you know, how can, this is like why people are in such conflict. You, you named a perfect example and, you know, we look for answers uh, everywhere and there's there's only one thing that I've been coming up with. We were talking about conflict in relation to having you on the show today and to having this topical discussion. And um, and Gary said something kind of interesting. He he was talking about um, a personal conflict that he's having, and he's saying I can't fix the Ukraine, and I can't fix the Democrats and the Republicans but maybe I can fix my personal conflict. And, and I, I think to myself, you know, if people could do that much, there should be a ripple out effect somewhere where these other conflicts begin to get resolved. If we can handle the little things, then can't we handle the bigger things? Oh, Suzanne, you have hit the nail on the head, right? Our biggest influence right? Starts in our own pond, right? So if we can resolve or at least face with love the conflicts that we have in our own inner circle, that has a rippling effect outward. But I find so often that we don't have the, 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 the tools in our tool chest or the courage to ask how to get started to address the conflict and the, you know, the elephant in the room in our own lives, that we find it much more soothing to spend hours thinking about what's going on in the Ukraine, which is, that's a worthy thought process, but really how much change are you impacting there, right? Your good thoughts and your good energy, they do help, but oftentimes we're thinking about that from an angry standpoint, right? You know, so we're way off in the distant future or, or some up where we have no, our hands can't touch anything instead of molding the clay that's right here in front of us and say, Hey, this is the conflict that exists between you and I. Let's talk about this. Let, let's see how we can reason together. Let's see how I can better show you that I love and accept you and honor myself because we're not saying that you should put yourself, you know, and say, Oh, well, to the dishonor of me, shall I honor you? Absolutely not. But dealing with those issues amongst ourselves in our own areas will have a rippling effect because guess what? Once we do that in our home, that one individual that we were having that conflict with maybe goes out and they interact with somebody, but what they take with them is that life experience that they have with you. 
I like that. And how you made them feel during that encounter. Right. That yes. they'll take away. They, they can re- I know people who can remember a slight, not even a major insult, but a slight or being left off a list of those to be thanked or congratulated. And they'll remember that for 30 years. Right. But Maya Angelou said people will never, they'll forget how you made them, uh, they'll forget what you taught them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Right. So how you make a person feel when they feel heard and loved that they take with them and they pass that forth. They pass it forward, whether they do it consciously or unconsciously, they pass it forward. Yes. Yeah. For, for good or ill, for good or right. ill. I was, <laughs> right. I, I was um, cracking a joke coming out of a grocery store last week with Gary and there was a, a woman there and the joke was not aimed at the woman, but, but she heard it and, and she took offense to it and I felt bad. It's like, you know, I wasn't talking about you lady, you know, I wasn't disparaging you, but somehow my joke did not land. And, and I felt bad for a long time after that. It's like, I can't go back and explain to her what the situation was and it had nothing to do with her. But, you know, there, there are times when it, we just feel bad about stuff we say and, you know, and, and inadvertently hurt people. And that's not even on purpose. But if we can purposefully make somebody's day, thank them, compliment them, uh, say something nice, do something nice. I, I think those small things do eventually add up. There is a tipping point eventually. And it seems like we've lost a lot of our little manners and our little niceties over time in our technological sped up world. I hate to lose all of that because I think that's kind of the the grease for society that allows us to live together more tolerably. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That space of humanity, right? And even when I was listening to you say that about the lady and coming out of the grocery store, which is a part, you know, that leads me to this other concept in everyday peace, which is to always be in a state of forgiveness, right? And, you know, that is forgiving her of her her perspective, her perception, right? That right, here, right. here you have perceived me to be one way. And, you know, so I forgive you for that. And I also forgive myself for um, putting uh. my... You know, and this yeah. and just move and just moving forward, and then the and genuine forgiveness just means it's just that the recognition of that. Wow, this is something that I you know that has happened, and that I forgive myself for. I forgive you for. Now we can move forward, or at mm. least you can move forward and release yourself from it because this yeah. this is like one big uh, algebra or geometry or I would say physics test that I didn't like physics. <laughs> 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 One big physics test, right? So we're yeah. here and we get we get part of the formula, right? But then we get to the other part and say, oh man, if I had just done that, it's okay. You get a do-over. A do-over. I like that. I like that because I, I think I was easier and faster at forgiving the woman than forgiving myself that, you know, I shouldn't be cracking so many jokes. So you were cracking wise. Cracking wise and it, <laughs> And that it didn't it didn't turn out all that well. No, so, keep uh, cracking wise. We need more laughter. We need more laughter. We do. We do need more laughter. And speaking of that, in, in the few minutes that we have left, Drayvon, I'm curious to know, are you a fan of sitcoms generally? Do you watch a lot of those? 
You know, I think I would be, Gary, but I don't get a lot of chance to watch TV. I cannot tell you the last time that I watched a television show. Um, uh, but I do. I, I, I remember, I think the last time I watched the show, yes, I do. It was Blackish a couple of years ago. I think my son mm-hmm. was um, yeah. maybe in the, in the 10th grade and I loved it. I, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it. Very funny stuff. The reason why I bring that up is because Suzanne and I had a conversation the other morning about sitcoms. I mean, there are things going on in sitcoms that we do find funny, although I find a lot of the animated stuff in it. I'm sorry, they can't make me laugh. You know, sorry, family guy. I just don't think it's funny. I'm still, and someone suggested to me that it was generational. I can go along with that. That that makes sense to me. There's some things, you know, here in 2022, I look at it, I go, what's the joke here? I just don't get it. And I'll watch something from the 50s and 60s and think that it's hilarious. But here's the thing. What was funny in the 50s, you know, the Honeymooners or Lucy, and you go ahead. I mean, even the uh, things that are family friendly, my three sons, et cetera, et cetera. And don't forget Petticoat Junction, all of yes. all those, all of those things at the shady rest. And yet today that stuff, oh my goodness, it got to the point where it was so stylistically inappropriate to the mood of the times that in the early 1970s, I think capped in 1972, if I recall, there was at CBS what has become known as the rural purge. People didn't want the shady rest anymore. I don't know why their ratings weren't plummeting. It wasn't like it was a disaster anymore. There, it just reached, you know, hello, cannonball. It had reached the end of the line. But there were shows that were taken off that actually were doing rather well. And the, it just became too expensive or it didn't fit where the network wanted to go. And so you had, in the case of Petticoat Junction, their last show and the very next week, what succeeded it? The Mary Tyler Moore show. And that has got nothing to do with Hooterville. <laughs> what's funny? From the what's, country to the city. What's yeah. Spe- yeah, country mouse, city mouse. Yeah. What speaks to us at given times? And it's amazing to see the progression of shows, what people think of as funny and what they are willing to support. It is. And I, I, and I don't know, I can't say this with any factuality because I mentioned I don't watch a lot of TV, but I always think, do people have choices or are you just shoving the same thing at them? And then they're just too lazy to turn off the television and, turn, and open a book and find where there's variety and still in the library. There's sure, sure is a lot of variety there. But I'm wondering, you know, are we just doing the same thing over and over again? You know, is there, are we, are we losing that creativity? We're just feeding people what we want them to have, or are we really giving them um, a wide array of um, choices when it comes to sitcoms or entertainment period? This is a question we will take up the next time you join us. And I sure hope there will be a next time, Drayvon James. You're a delight. You are a success story and an inspiration. We would love to have you back. Oh, I'd love to come back. You guys make me smile. All right. Have a great weekend and join us again next Friday. Thank you so much for listening. We always appreciate your time and attention, everyone. Have a great weekend.